This is an RNZ podcast. Te Whare Wānanga o Awanuiarangi hosted the second Te Pūtake o Te Riri Symposium at the Head Campus earlier this month. The focal point of discussions is looking at issues around the New Zealand land wars. Last week we heard from Rungawa Māori practitioner David Kukutai-Jones who talked about the various plants and clays used on the battlefield. This week, academic Malcolm Mulholland on the use and purpose of flags. So this one here is captured in Opotiki in 1866, uh, Papatupu near Waitotara in 1868 and Opepe in 1869. And you can see they're all different designs, but they are reasonably simple designs. And again, we all see the colour, uh, the use of the colour red. Kuena tātātou wahanga e heke mai nei. That's coming up tonight as part of this series. Nā reira, iakura rangatira mā, whakarongo tonu mai. Ko te reo irirangi wao te aroa tēnei. Ko Justine Murray, ahau. No Ngāti Kahunganu me Rangitane, Malcolm Mulholland is based in Palmerston North. He was a member of the Flag Consideration Panel from 2015, of which members included Kate DeGoldy, Rhys Jones, Hannah O'Regan, John Burroughs, Julie Christie and Beatrice Famuina. The then National Government led a nationwide referendum on the New Zealand flag. Today, Malcolm is undertaking research towards his PhD about the use of flags and national identity. Oh, kia ora tato. Uh, kia koutou. Uh, ko Malcolm Holland tōku ingoa, no Ngāti Kahanunu me Rangitāne uh, Okuiwi. As Makuini said uh, in her introduction, uh, I was a part of the flag consideration panel I still have nightmares today about that process. <laughs> and I can, in particular, remember attending a hui at Te Marae, which was animated to say the least. But um, I also have some good memories about that process. And I guess the overall lesson that I, I got from it was that people actually do care about flags. They are passionate about flags. And when we started on that process... You know, a lot of the comments made were, oh, who cares about the New Zealand flag? You know, we don't give two hoots. Well, give it about a fortnight, and then you pretty much knew where people stood on the issue. Um, as it ended up, we went through that process. Um, people voted in favour of keeping the New Zealand flag, and I still reflect upon it today and think, you know what, when all said and done, that was actually a good outcome because everybody got to have a say about what flag they felt should represent our country. Um, Despite some of the history, that is relatively unknown, and that's something that I'll touch on today. Um, But also in stark contrast to how we came about the New Zealand flag in 1869, um, which was really decided uh, by two men as to what the flag would be. So you compare 1869 and you look at what happened in 2015-16, when we all went through the referendum process, to you couldn't get um, two more different processes happening by which to decide what flag would represent New Zealand. 
it is my PhD topic, and I am looking at national identity and flags. And how did it come about? Well, I was really interested to know what Māori input, if any, had been given um, when New Zealand decided upon the flag that represents us today. And so I asked that question not only in relation to the flag, but also to the name New Zealand um, and also to our national anthem. So I was looking at symbols of nationhood. And the conclusion, the resounding conclusion, was that um, Māori were not involved, um, we weren't consulted, um, we weren't even in the room. And so uh, I found that quite an interesting exercise. And then on the back of that um, came the referendum, and then we got involved in a lot of discussions and debates around the country. And then I thought, well, let's just take a look at flags uh, in, our, in our national history. But the one thing that flags can tell us about is about our history. They capture a time. But they can also evolve over time to mean different things to different people. Um, and also, one thing that I'm very much interested in are the symbols that are used on flags. Sometimes I used to think of myself as a bit of a code breaker. Um, sometimes it would get me into trouble because <laughs> you don't always get it right. But nine times out of ten, you're not too far off the mark. And so I really liked that aspect of it. Um, and also, when we look at symbols, they can tell us about the bearer of the flag, about what they stood for, what was important to them, what period of history are we referring to. One of the big lessons, and again, I'm going to refer um, to the referendum process in and out of this um, presentation, is that sometimes I think we have what I would label imagined histories. And that is that we assume we know the history of flags, but uh, more times than not, sometimes that can catch us short. And the most easiest example I can give, and I've been looking at the Po that are around our room. There's a Po down the back there. I can't see it from where I'm standing, but if you turn your head that way, you'll see there a Po that's got a bit of a Union Jack uh, with, a, with a rifle. I, yeah, I suspect that that's the Pioneer Māori Battalion being represented in that po, because that looks like the King's Regiment flag from memory. Um, one question that I have, and I'll just uh, test, test this theory. How many of you believe, just by show of hands, that New Zealand soldiers fought under the New Zealand flag in World War I? Just a show of hands. Yes, you do believe that they did. Yeah. If you keep your hand down, you don't believe that they did. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay, so we've got maybe two thirds of the room. World War Two. Do you believe that New Zealand soldiers fought under the New Zealand flag? Put your hand up if you think that that's the case. Okay, probably more more in favour of that. Um, interestingly enough, predominantly, in particular in World War One, New Zealand soldiers did not fight under the New Zealand flag. Okay, it's an imagined history. Um, that's not to say that the New Zealand flag wasn't there. It was, and we have examples of it. Uh, there's one or two that I can think of. William Malone at Gallipoli, he was certainly one who had the New Zealand flag. But by and large, we fought under the <coughs> Union Jack. Come to World War II, and you would think by that time that the New Zealand flag is the predominant flag. But again, I can tell you that the Union Jack was actually the most prominent flag in use. Yes, again, there are examples of a New Zealand flag um, being flown and being used. But when men were being buried, 
uh, in particular if you were buried at sea, they would use uh, the Union Jack to drape over your coffin. We have, as I said to you, what I would tend to label an imagined history. When you look at the history of the New Zealand flag and the Union Jack, the Union Jack is still predominantly the flag of choice and use in New Zealand up to the 1960s. So that's not that long ago. Why did we see a change in the use of flags in the 1960s and people become, I suppose, more vocal and patriotic towards the New Zealand flag? Because Britain was negotiating to enter into the EEC, which affected our trade agreement with them. And I wonder to myself, and this is not a theory that I've tested, whether or not our imagined history comes off the back of American media. That we see the American flag, that they're very outspoken and very patriotic towards their flag and that they marched under it during World War I and II. And perhaps we've adopted that as the way of thinking about our own particular flag. Anyway, I'm not here to talk about that. <laughs> I'm here to talk about uh, Māori and flags predominantly and the flags that were in use during the New Zealand War period. Uh, the Māori name for a flag is haki or kara. Kara being colours, haki being jack, um, uh, I suppose uh, a way of, of talking about the Union Jack, which is what Māori would have been familiar with, especially in the contact period. Um, flags tend to be used in the early days, and so I'm talking about the 1820s right up to the signing of the treaty, uh, in religious circles. And so it was the missionaries up in the Bay of Islands in particular that would use flags, and they would put, for example, rātapu, uh, on, on a flag to denote uh, you know, day of worship and so people would know to come along and attend church. But if we fast forward um, to 1857, this group of flags was used um, when Pototo was announced as being um, the first Māori king. And it was that flag in the middle that was said to be his flag. So there we have a cross, no doubt to talk about Christianity, or the link to Christianity, Nutirini, which is New Zealand, and there we have three symbols. And those three symbols there denote or represent New Zealand, the three islands of New Zealand. And so when we think about the goal of the Kingitanga to represent Naiwi Katoa, um, I suspect that's why they would have used the three islands of New Zealand, that that was very much in their thinking. Then if we look over here, um, this flag came into existence in 1861 at the inauguration of Tafiao in Ngāruawahia. It was a blue and a yellow flag, and it had, again, three star-like figures to represent New Zealand's three main islands. So there's not much difference, really, between the two flags. They're very much the same. I'm yet to see uh, Tafiao's flag, um, because in those days in particular, the flag was actually buried... Um, with the king, because it was tapu. So the Kingitanga really were the first, I suppose, pan-collective Māori organisation, if you want to call it that, uh, that started using flags extensively. OK. So this flag here um, comes from Paimarudi or Hoho, or Te Raumini. Um, the central object of their ceremonies was the nui, or the pau. Um, the first nui that was used came from a shipwreck off the Taranaki coast, and that's why you can see there it has a yardstick. 
and there were a great many flags that were flown from it. Some of these flags, although you can't quite make them out here, um, some of them were actually Union Jacks, which is interesting given their position during the New Zealand Wars. And up here we have a much larger flag. Um, the term nui came from the term for the short sticks that were used by Tohunga before entering into battle. Um, <clears throat> and if you were walking through uh, Tika Maui in 1865 from Taranaki to here, with the exception of Te Arawa, more times than not, you probably would have seen a nui in some of the communities that you were walking through. Um, it's really interesting when you look at, I suppose, the religious uh, underpinnings of Dua Aumini. And I'll just read you a quote. He had a vision of which the archangel Gabriel announced that the last days described in the revelation of St. John were at hand. The vision assured to Ua that he was chosen by God as his prophet, commanded him to cast off the yoke of the Pakia and promised the restoration of the birthright of Israel, the Māori people, in the land of Canaan, New Zealand. This would come about after a, a great day of deliverance in which the unrighteous would perish. When I think about the New Zealand wars, I actually wonder if that's a narrative about them, that Pākehā were coming in, uh, were definitely challenging Māori rights, if not overriding them, and that at the end of this great battle, Māori would be free and the unrighteous being Pākehā would actually be cast from these lands. And so I, I find that quite a useful quote when thinking about them. Here we have um, <coughs> Teua's flag, which had Kenana on it, which is canon, which I just talked about. And this flag here conveyed his belief that likened the Māori people to the Israelites, as we've just heard in the quote, which would be restored to their birthright in Canaan, New Zealand, after the, after the day of deliverance. So again, we're hearing the same story, but this time it's been captured in the flag. If we look at some of these symbols, apart from the name Kenana, which is canon, um, we have over here the trefoil. So that's it right there. It looks like a, a bit of a Irish club, I guess you'd call it, um, which represents um, the Holy Trinity, the Son, the Father, and the Holy Ghost. Okay? And then down here we have the Greek Omega. That's the symbol for Omega. Okay. Now, in the book of Revelation, which Teur was very familiar with in the New Testament, um, God says, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, meaning that God remains from the beginning to the end of time. Now, it could be that this is a reference uh, to the final judgment that Tua believed in. And, of course, as I just said to you, Tua was very well versed on biblical references. And so that was his flag there. What you'll also see in flags, uh, in particular flags that represent Māori, is the use of the colour red. That is to denote tapu. Okay, it comes from the red ochre that we used to use. And so that was why red was such a prominent colour. The five apostles of the movement each had their own flag, including Titukawaru and Tupiaturua, um, and it was normally the second flag that would fly. Uh, Ruru was the flag of Paitara, uh, and it was a pacifier flag that represented the Archangel Michael and was considered superior to Ricky. And I have uh, Ruru over here, or Ruda. It depends on which manuscript you're reading but it's over here. The flag was white with red devices, including a cross uh, that was flanked by eight and six-pointed stars. So here are the stars here. 
And again, we see the Greek omega being referenced there. Ricky, and this isn't an accurate depiction of of this description that I'm going to give of of Ricky, but was a long red pennant with a cross and was regarded as the war flag. And this image also has the star of Bethlehem, and that's the star there. Now, depending on where you saw uh, Lulu or Lula and Ricky, depended on whether or not they were about to enter war. So often that would be a bit of a giveaway. You'd look for the Nui Pole, you'd see where the flags were positioned, and then you could figure the rest out from there. Now, this flag here um, is another what they called standard flag of the Ahomini. Uh, and, and this flag here, I'm just trying to find my notes, I don't have mine. It referred to the god of war, the mighty god of war. Flags were also captured. Um, I suspect they did this as a way to say we beat the enemy. It's very much, um, Vince, you'd probably be able to speak more to this. When you capture the flag, you're actually victorious in battle. And so here are some examples of flags that were captured during the New Zealand wars. Um, All, I think, of which are ho-ho flags, or what you would call ho-ho flags. So this one here is captured in Opotiki in 1866, uh, Papatupu near Waitotara, in 1868 and Ōpepe in 1869. And you can see they're all different designs, but they are reasonably simple designs. And again, we all see the colour, the use of the colour red. Now, just looking at this flag in 1866, um, it was captured by uh, Lieutenant Colonel Lyon. He went to Waiweka, the stronghold of Wairako, and captured the flag of Tamai Kofa. Um, the flag had a red background um, with a blue St George's cross, and that's it there, uh, and five white stars in the middle, which is over there, as well as um, the crescent moon. And we'll talk about why crescent moons are used in Māori flags. This is the flag that some of you will be familiar with, the Gate Pa flag, or Pukehunehuna, um, and it has three symbols, obviously. It has a cross, it has a crescent moon, uh, and it also has a star. Um, Many believe that this was adopted from Hoho, and so hence why we see a lot of the symbols being used here in other Hoho flags. The star is said to represent Bethlehem, which is after uh, the place of the same name over in Tauranga. Other flags in the same period, and I, I just mentioned before about the crescent moon, are said to represent the Old Testament, so hence why... Um, we saw the use of the crescent moon and some flags. Um, but some also say, just to confuse you even more, that it's there to represent the New Testament. So they're not sure it's either the, the old or the new. When they talk about the use of the crescent moon as, as depicting the New Testament, they often talk about new beginnings, it being a door to a better tomorrow. And again, when we think about it in use of, uh, being used in the context of the New Zealand wars, then it's not hard to understand why they would have used that particular symbol um, over here is, uh, of course, Hinari Taratua, um, and at the back there you can see the flag at the par. Now, that flag was actually captured in the battle in 1864. Okay, Tewepu. This is a good lesson in, um, in not taking flags for granted, I suppose, is the easiest way to put it. Tewepu did become known um, as Tikoti's flag, and that is true for a period of its history but it was actually designed by the Sisters of the, of the Mission. Um, do we still have our two teachers from 
St. Joseph's? Mardi Gras College? No. Okay. So that particular order, um, we're responsible for the teaching um, of St. Joseph's, which is why I have a, a picture there of Hato Hohepa. So if you've ever walked through the gates, that's what you'll see. But this is where the sisters came from. And they actually made it um, for Kraulia, who was the father of Arini Tunori over here, who was in turn married to the general practitioner George Donnelly, who visited the school. So that's how the relationship was formed. The flag was hoisted at the power of Kraulia to gunfire and haka, but unfortunately for Kraulia, he and his men marched as a part of a government expedition to hunt and kill Tikoti. Um, and when engaging in battle at Makaritu in 1868, he was killed and this flag was captured, after which it was used by Tikoti, hence why sometimes people will refer to it as Tewepu Tikoti's flag. So it's now under the leadership, or under the possession, I should say, of Tikoti, and the flag flew at Ngātapa in Tūruwira, and we heard Awiramu uh, talk about Ngātapa and what happened there. But this flag is captured from uh, Tikoti by Gilbert Meir, um, when he captured Pekka Makarini, who was a lieutenant of Tikoti near Ohonimutu in 1870. So the flag, already in a short space of time, has a very long history and has already been through several pair of hands, so to speak. Interpretation of a flag, well, again, we see the crescent moon there, um, which, in this instance, has been interpreted as a portal to a new world. That, I think, is in keeping with the sisters who designed it, because they came over here with the intention of um, basically turning Māori towards the Bible and making um, good young Māori women out of the girls that they taught. So I think that that is probably a fair um, description of, of that symbol. And then you have the Red Cross, which in this description is said to be the fighting cross of the Archangel Michael. I would dispute that, and I would actually say that that comes, and we've heard this in the past, that's actually come as an interpretation of the cross from Te Kōti. So probably during the time that Te Kōti had it, he would have interpreted it that particular way. I don't think the Sisters of a Mission would have been of a similar vein. If you read their teachings, they're not talking about Michael being, uh, however you want it, the punisher, for lack of a better word. Um, I think that's definitely a reference to Christianity. Now I'm going to talk about this flag, which is said to be the flag of Te Kōti. Now, as I said to you before, I mentioned down there about the Po uh, down the end there, and about that perhaps representing the Māori Pioneer Battalion. And I was interested in these po here, because here we see um, the very same flag. So obviously this is a depiction of Te over here in the po, and uh, alongside him is Rua But anyway, over here we have Te So his flag here, Hemi uh, Te Pono from Titiko, is pictured with it. It's interesting when looking at Te again, obviously a highly religious man, um, who uh, created or formed the faith uh, Ringatu. And again, he's talking about being visited by the Archangel Michael during the 1850s. Um, it's also interesting that in that early time when he was with Ngāti Maru, um, he actually refused, he was one of the very few that refused to join the Ho-Ho faith. But I think over time he became sympathetic towards their cause. Uh, the Rangitu flag was captured by colonial forces at Tipurere in 1869, and it was a massive flag. It was six feet by three feet. Um, the WI, so there we have it there, um, could stand for the Holy Spirit, which is Wairua Tapu. The crescent moon was a portent of a new world, so again we're hearing about the new world. 
and the Red Cross was the fighting cross of the Archangel Michael. Now, in this depiction, I suspect that is right, because this is Tecote's take on a cross. But that perhaps is where the confusion has arisen when I look at the flag that we've just looked at, Tewepu. They've used the same interpretation, whilst forgetting that the flag was created by two different people or different groups. Uh, the moon and cross are most likely taken from Tewepu, so they're very similar to the flag that we've just seen. Uh, back in the day, an ethnologist at the National Museum believed that the crescent moon symbolised the Old Testament, um, whereas the white cross symbolised Christianity. As for the letters WY, Barry provided the explanation that they stood for uh, Te Wairua o Ihoa, Spirit of God, from which the Rangatū faith took its name, Te Hahi o Te Wairua Tapu, uh, the Church of the Holy Spirit of God. Another explanation of the letters is that they represent Te Whakakitinga, Revelations chapter 1, whereby Te Koti experienced a vision. So that's a bit of history about that particular flag. Over, over here is another flag that Te Koti used, which was captured by Lieutenant Colonel uh, MacDonnell at a camp uh, after an engagement at Tapapa Putararu in 1870. Okay, <clears throat> so that, in short, um, is a summary of flags used by Māori that were fighting against the Crown during the New Zealand Wars. Okay, so we've looked at the Kingitanga flags, we've looked at the Hauhau or Tua Haumini flags, and we've also looked at Te and his flags. Now I want to turn our attention to the flags that were used by Māori who fought on the side of the Crown. So kicking us off here, the Union Jack. Um, you most likely would have, if you were here in the 1860s, would have seen Union Jacks flying around left, right and centre. Um, the, the flag combines aspects of three older national flags, the Red Cross of St George, which is England, in the middle, um, the White Celta of St Andrew, which is here, um, that's for Scotland, and then the Red Celta of St Patrick, which is there for Ireland. So, that's what the Union Jack represents, okay? Ireland, Scotland and England. And it came from England. Kia ora, author and academic Malcolm Mulholland, nō Ngāti Kahunganu me Rangitāne. That was his presentation, recorded at Te Whariwānanga o Awanuiārangi, as part of the Te Pūtake o Te Riri Symposium. For more information about this series and, of course, our previous shows, head to rnz.co.nz forward slash tiahika. He mihi mai o ha tēnei kia koutou katoa e whakarongo mai ana ki tēnei hōtaka. Ko te tūmanako kia pai tā koutou wiki. Join us next Sunday. Hei kona mai. Love be patient. Love be kind. Need something familiar to ease my mind. Searching for redemption.
Look for 